Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome back to another episode of the My Muslim Family podcast. Um, we do aim through these podcasts to really talk about how we can be better Muslims, better parents and better citizens, citizens of the world generally. Um, we know the importance of community, we, we know that parents can feel overwhelmed um, and that we can help each other through these struggles and that we've lost out really over time. Uh, by becoming more of a nuclear family um, and having to rely on ourselves a lot more and our own experiences without benefiting from the experience of others. So this is what we'll be discussing today. Uh, my guest again is uh, life coach Isra Atayal. It's really great to have her back. We did brainstorm a few ideas the last time she was here and we really liked the idea of talking about community and community support and how we can benefit ourselves from the really the plethora of experiences and insights around us um, from elders, from community members, from extended family, um, where this is not the norm around us now, and where we have become more self-sufficient and having to rely on ourselves a little, little bit more. So I'm really pleased that uh, we, we talked about confidence last time and instilling that in our children, but we still managed to um, have her back she's kindly agreed to come back to speak about community so inshallah you enjoy this episode please do consider donating to the my muslim family um, to, be, and to enable us to become a little bit more sustainable um, so we are reaching out for uh, either monthly sponsorship or donations or one-off donations no matter how small it will always help um, to keep the content coming we hope you're benefiting from it so do go to mymuslimfamily.org forward slash donate if you can help in any way we really appreciate that inshallah so and now i welcome isra dayar assalamu alaikum isra welcome back it's really how are you alhamdulillah it's really good to have you back thank you for agreeing to come back um as i said in the introduction we did talk about the importance of, you, of community. It was something that you suggested would be a nice topic to talk about it. And I wondered why you chose um, this particular topic. So give us some insights. So I think um, this is something obviously working with communities for a long period of time, um, trying to serve through our community, whether it's professionally or through different community projects. Uh, I do feel there is a sort of a disintegration of the community in terms of how we support each other, how we help each other. Um, and that decline in sort of that community integration, that's had, I feel, a huge impact on families and young people for so many different reasons. One being that sense of identity and belonging. As we know, kind of we, especially when kids begin to grow up in their teenage years, they do need that sense of belonging. They want to be like their friends. They want to have a group of people where they feel like they connect with them. And because we live in a society and some children will go into schools where they don't have that sense of belonging in their schools, where people, their peers might be very different to them, it's really important that families have a chance to offer their kids a sense of belonging with peers outside of school. Uh, and that's why I think the importance of having that society integration is so paramount for the well-being of young people, but also that sense of belonging, identity, um, 
emotional health, all of those things, I think that they play such a big role. And I've seen that over the years, I think that that disintegration of society's responsibility as well, where people are so busy with their everyday life, whether it's work or their own families, that they're not giving time for that community effort. And mm. if, you know, raising children is such a difficult thing, and every parent will tell you that. They don't come with a manual of how to raise them. We don't no. have the support that we used to have before. Like families in the past, they used to have a whole gener generation actually helping them and bringing up their kids. Um, you know, we've, we talked about that proverb that it takes a village to raise a child. Mm. Now what's happening is that families are genuinely very busy. The cost of living has increased. P parents are having to work. And that support network of family and community has disintegrated. And I feel that's why it's impacting our society, our community, our spirituality, our uh, emotional health, our spiritual health, physical health in a very negative way. And that's why I think it's really important to reignite that sense of responsibility within our community and inshallah gather people around as well so that we can support each other. Inshallah, it's, it's interesting you say that we are too busy for the community. We're too busy, I guess, to give our time to the community, but also to benefit from them. Why do you think we're so busy? Is it that we, is it that we are chasing different things or is it that life has just changed with time or is it that living in the West is very different from living in the East where, you know, our parents' generation would have grown up? Yeah. So I think the part of it is the change of culture. So we know that with the Western society, it is more evolved around that nuclear family of parents being together, you know, parent and their children being surrounded and almost that sense of um, independence that I get to raise my child in my own way, in the mm. way I see to be correct. At the same time, while all that might sound really good, those same parents are having to work a lot of the time, full time jobs, going out to work very early in the morning, coming back quite late, simply just providing their kids with food and then putting them to sleep. And there's little in the way, little time in the way of actually, how do we actually raise them? And that's why there's almost that sense on one side of the society pressurizing you, Western society, independent society, of that individualism that I get to raise my child the way I want to. But at the same time, they're feeling the struggle and the burden and the overwhelm of trying to raise their kids because they do care. A lot of young people do care about spirituality. They do care about faith. They do care about their children's well-being, but they just don't seem to have the time to do it. And that's where our value system needs to be readdressed. What's genuinely important? And that's that's a huge talk of its own. You know, we need to address what are young people or young families like ourselves? What are we valuing more of? Um, so are we valuing that financial security more than something else? Because that's these are big questions and they're not necessarily comfortable questions to ask. But that's what I do feel is happening because the financial crisis there, our status of living, the, you know, the kind of life that we want to live in is genuinely probably a higher standard and that requires a lot more working longer hours, earning mm -hmm. a lot more in order to keep up with that lifestyle. But we need to address is what's the cost of that? What has been the cost of that over the years? Because there is a cost and if it might be uncomfortable to talk about it, but we can't deny it as well. Um, because if we're, you know, there are, I've heard a lot of young people who, young families who, when I speak to them, they say, it doesn't matter. It's not about the quantity of time that you spend with your child. It's the quality of time that you spend with them. And I'm, to be honest, I'm the advocate that says that both are important. 
And yeah. people will go out there to say, no, it's only quality or that's the main thing. Yes, quality is essential. And you can't have quantity without quality and you can't have quality without quantity because a child needs your time. Fact of the matter. And when they are being raised by caregivers or nannies or even grandparents, they are still not being raised by you. So we do have an essential responsibility. Allah gave us that responsibility as parents to raise our kids. But yes, we do have that other support to help us through that as well. And we need to lean on both. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think even mentioning grandparents, a lot of us are lucky that our grandparents, um, you know, our children's grandparents are in our lives and they are part of the upbringing of children. But that's not really the normal common model in the West. Um, it is the nuclear family, which is generally one or two parents and the children. Um, but actually, even now, in our cultures in the, um, the Middle East or Africa or elsewhere, they still do have multi-generations in the same household. So what do you think has been the, the benefit of becoming a nuclear family? But what do you think we've lost out on um, by, by having just the two generations in the family, in the home? Yeah. So obviously, if we talk about the benefits, there's that extra support. Any extra support is always great, whether it's, you know, that even the couple get to get time out, even if mm. it's just a you know babysitting opportunity for the grandparents to look after the kids, for the couple to actually go out and have their own time. That's healthy. That's not a negative thing. That's positive. If we start to rely on grandparents a lot, the problem could be there is that intergenerational differences where your parents will end up raising your children in probably the same way that they raised you. And we can't deny that generational gap between them. And you might look at your own parenting and say, you know, there are certain things that our parents may not have understood about us, especially if, mm -hmm. you know, if they're their generation were that moved from Iraq or any other country to the UK. And so there's a difference in how we were living to what they grew up, you know, how they grew up. And so now we're seeing an, a, you know, a larger sort of gap between our grandparents and our children. So it's important to raise that and see what is the impact of my parents raising my children? How will they talk to them? How will they deal with them? How would they punish them or reward them? Are they doing it in a way that's conscious, that's mindful, that's, you know, all of the things that we are taught in this in this day and age, which are genuinely very positive. Are they doing it in that way or are they doing it in their way that they know best? which might not mm. apply to your child as well. And ultimately, even, even as a responsibility, you know, Allah, when he tells us that we have a responsibility towards ourselves and our, our family, our children. We have that ultimate responsibility and it's not for us to give it to somebody else. And part of it is about working in ourselves. And we just talked about that busyness of life. How many people are actually investing the time to teach themselves important Islamic principle, ethical principle, parenting principle, psychology, mental well-being. How many of how many people who are parents raising the next generation are actually spending good amount of time to educate and practice some of those teachings in themselves? Oh, and fusakum. If we don't pr protect our own self, we can't necessarily then pass that knowledge and protection to our kids. And then we have a responsibility towards our kids as well. And that's why that we can't deny that no matter how busy we get in life, that's ultimately our responsibility. Mm. It's, it's interesting you say that because as you say, 
we need to learn more, we need to educate ourselves. It sounds like another thing on the to-do list. It sounds like more chores, more responsibilities for parents, but actually that's been found to enhance well-being, hasn't it? It's part of the the five ways to well-being that we are we feel there is an improvement, that there's progress in our own learning, which can enhance how we feel. So it's not necessarily a chore, is it? <laughs> It shouldn't, it certainly shouldn't be a chore. In fact, it's a bit like the difference between working hard and working smart. You know, mm. it's, it's about how you do certain things. Educating yourself is going to make that journey easier, not harder. Mm. It's Yes, it's adding a short sort of extra list of things to do on your list, but it's going to help you in your own well-being, your professional growth, your personal growth, your parenting journey. It's going to help all of that. If we fail to do that, and I have seen the consequences of people failing to do that, if we fail to do that, when our children grow up to their teenage years or even young adults, and then we begin to struggle, see them struggle, or we begin to struggle on how we communicate with them, then we start to look back and say, oh, if only I had put in that time and effort. And if only I was yeah. less busy with work. Because we worry so much about that, again, that financial security. But then again, even that, does Allah tell us to worry about that? What does Allah say to us about that? He says, We will provide yeah. for you and them, not just you. We will provide for them. That sort of worry, it's not about not doing anything. Yes, we work hard. Yes, we provide for them. But the worry about providing financial security shouldn't be there. But our responsibility to protect their spirituality, their faith is ultimately ours. That's, yeah. it's about what... Yes, the hidayah, the guidance is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but we need to do our part in that. And the reality is, unfortunately, a lot of us are actually choosing financial security over faith security or spiritual security. And I guess you see the fallout of that sometimes because you do work with young people. So you're at the, the receiving end of that. You're able to see and have insights into sometimes our teenage children's lives, their well-being, their... Um, the emotional health that maybe some parents are not aware of. Um, and we know, for example, that um, government data shows about 6% of, of adults, 16 and above, are lonely uh, most of the time or all of the time, which is quite a worrying statistic. It means, you know, one in 20 or more than one in 20 um, of people around us are lonely all the time. And and it's been equated to, you know, loneliness doesn't necessarily mean that there's no one around them. It means that there's no one that they feel connected to, that they feel is a support for them. So it might be that, like you say, the the quantity's there, but without the quality, or it might be that the quality's there, but without the quantity. But it's it's that fine balance between because nobody, you know, we'd all be heartbroken if we knew that our children were lonely most of the time, or even if we felt lonely most of the time. But I think a lot of us do feel that because we have built this idea of self-sufficiency that I, I know what my kids need and I'm providing that for them. And we don't like asking for help. And that means that we have to suffer alone. And that means that, you know, it's me and my husband or sometimes just me against the world. Um, and our children need more than us. And we need more than I think our spouse and our immediate family. We really do need a community so that we are able to feel supported. So it's, uh, it's, it's quite a challenging area, I think, especially as a parent of teens, because you do have a level of disconnection that happens, I find, around the teen years. They do look to their peers so much more. And, you know, as someone who's 
kind of done parenting courses between between children, if you like, I found that it's made me a more relaxed parent. Um, like, you know, coming back to your your point earlier is that these this education can help us to feel um, more supported, can help to make the journey easier rather than more difficult. And I wish I'd done all of this so much earlier. Um, I have sort of a 10 year age gap between my first and my fourth child. And I feel like I'm much more relaxed with my fourth child. I think I think a lot of people generally are with their fourth child. Um, but that just comes through the experience and through the learning that you, you drop a lot of what's not necessary. Um, I think there is so much more worry in the beginning that we don't really need to keep on board. Um, but just coming back to your your work with with teenagers, do you notice loneliness? Um, what does that look like in, in teenagers? And what do you think are the root causes? Yeah, really good question. And it actually highlighted so many different points in, in everything that you just shared. Um, first of all, I think let's distinguish, even for the adults listening now, between loneliness and solitude, because they are different. Mm -hmm. Because someone can be around a thousand people and can feel really lonely, and someone can sit alone in their room and not feel lonely at all. So there is a difference. And some of that is to do with your own belief system, how you feel about yourself, how you view that time of solitude and being alone. Are you using it in a positive way? Are you finding purpose in it? Or do you find that you, when you're sitting with yourself with your own thoughts, is that negative on you? That's probably what's going to lead to that sense of loneliness. Mm. Again, with young people, as we said, they do grow up to look for their peers. And friendship is such an important part of growing up. Part of that is evolutionary benefit. We, you know, if we go back in time, people who had peers and you know people around them they're more likely to survive they're more likely to form connections they're more likely to have spouses and reproduce and all of that but so evolutionary it has the benefit and kids part of that journey of when you're growing up to the adolescent years you need that at the same time what we are telling our kids is that you are different to everybody else you don't fit in with everybody else so it's almost anti sort of it's not in in intuition with them. It's not aligning yeah. with what their normal growth journey is. And so it's important for us then to create that network for them to feel like I do belong somewhere, that I do have support. But that's not just for your kids. When we go out to the community and we find good peers for our kids and help them to connect with people who are like-minded, we are equally supporting our own self, even as adults. Because we're not only finding that as you said, not only young people are feeling lonely, but adults are feeling lonely. And we do that sense of loneliness actually can be inherited because mm. it's to do with how you feel about yourself, how connected you are with yourself, how comfortable you are to sit with your own head, with your own thoughts. And that can be transferred from parent to child. And that's why it's important for us to note how connected we are with other people. And then if we look at the responsibility, this is where people are different. Our knowledge is different. We can't necessarily expect every single person in society to go and do these parenting courses and be informed about well-being and be informed about how to solve certain issues or mental health issues or disabilities. And all of those things are very challenging for a lot of people because they have their own struggles and their own journeys. And this is where the role of community comes into it. 
it's not acceptable for each of us to sit and say, as long as my house is safe, as long as I'm well and I'm healthy and my kids are healthy and they're well, then it doesn't matter what happens outside. Because that fire that's spreading outside will hit your home. So it's not important, it's not enough for us to say, let me protect my own household. Your children will go outside and play with other kids' children. And if we don't sit and take responsibility so for what is happening to other people's children, it's not only going to impact, this is sort of a, a religious understanding, but also even if we take it in a selfish way, it's going to impact your own kids and your own family as well. It's just a matter of time. And so that's why even you know the, the hadith of Prophet Muhammad, when he says, um, if you know the tara al mu'minina fi tara hamihim wa tawadihim, what was it? You can finish off the quote for me. Yes, so that we're all part of the same body. Exactly. The translation to that hadith is that we are like one body in how kind we are to each other, in how merciful we are to each other, in that we are non judgmental towards each other. And if we connect as one body, that way, yeah. if something happens to one part of the body, the whole body feels the aches and the pain and the fever. And how yeah. many of us genuinely feel that? When I see somebody else, how many people in society, when I see a young girl taking off her hijab or a boy doing certain things, how many of us go out there and become judgmental towards the parents or speak about that child who's making a mistake? And how many go the opposite and say, this is like my own child? I feel for the parent and I feel for the child. And it's my responsibility within the community to go and support this family. How many of us will pick up the phone to that parent and say, I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you, that you're not alone in this journey. And this is genuinely heartbreaking because none of us are immune to any of these things. None of us. Not a sheikh is immune. Not a mental health, health specialist is immune. We are all potentially at risk to these things of seeing ourselves lose our religion, God forbid, or seeing our kids lose their religion. And that's why it's important for us to step up, to care, to be non-judgmental. If things go wrong, we're here to support you because that's how you bring people back. And at the same time, preventative measures are important as well, where we, we come back to the community centers, all of these mosques and community centers that are half empty, bring people back to them so that we feel a sense of community and we work at different intergenerational intergener levels where I can support the younger generation, those younger generations are able to support my own kids who are closer to them in age and my own kids can support the younger generation. That's the only way we will work together as a community. And it's about feeling the responsibility, feeling compassionate and merciful and kind towards that and dealing with the challenges that come forward. Yeah, it, it's so true because I think it's, um, you mentioned about talking you know, picking up the phone to parents who may be struggling or whose children maybe are, um, you know, are a worry and and offering that support. And, and many of us would probably really worry about doing that. And you want to dissociate and you think, gosh, I need to protect my own children. But actually, like you say, until everyone's protected, nobody's protected and nobody's safe. Um, and it's it is a brave thing to do, I think, it, but it's also such an Islamic duty for us to to feel like we are one body and that we do take responsibility for other people's behavior as well so that we are able to be part of the solution. Um, so you mentioned pre preventative measures. How do grandparents, for example, and extended family fit into that? 
because I feel like over time, and I mentioned self-sufficiency before, but also I guess ego plays into it. We have become a little bit less tolerant. You know, we want to come back and close the doors on ourselves and do things the way we want to do them, raise our children the way we want to do that without interference from others. There's a perception that anybody we let into our lives will interfere. They will disrupt our harmony. Is that something that we've created in our own selves or is there any truth to that? Yeah, I think this is probably part of that selfish nature that we've created. And I'm not here to say that there isn't time for us to spend by ourselves. We all as families, every family needs to have time for themselves alone. Just like a couple needs time alone, the family needs time alone. We also need time with our extended family, whether it's grandparents, aunties, uncles, <clears throat> and also within society. There's different circles of, of influence, shall we say. And it's important for us to allow that duty towards every circle that we interact with. And what we need to do is we have to realize that when we care about the next circle, so moving outwards from the circles, from the yeah. inner circle of the couple to the family, to the extended family, to the community, every circle that we interact with is teaching our kids to care. When I put my time and attention and care and love to my parents or my husband's parents, that's teaching my child the value of these people. Because what if I say I'm going to close the door, I don't care what happens to my parents or my in-laws, fast forward 10, 15 years, my children will close the door towards me. And inshallah, none of us need anybody else, you know, whether it's physically or mentally or anything like that. But ultimately what was going to do, everyone's going to shut doors on themselves. And the elderly are going to feel lonely. They're not going to have the the physical and the mental support that they will need. And that's just reigniting that sense of that sort of um, independent, selfish in sort of society that we may be growing in. And it's up to us to really change that. Realizing there's a problem, realizing there's an issue there. I don't want to kind of sit and focus on the, the trouble with that or what could arise because of that, but how we can start to resolve it. How can we bring some of those um, challenges and try to say, what is the solution to those challenges? How can I become solution focused? What do I, what duty do I have towards my, my parents? What duty do I have towards my in-laws? What duty do I have towards my own grandparents even? Where do I draw boundaries? I think where people go wrong is not because of the relationship, it's because we fail to draw boundaries in those relationships. So it's important for us to have honest conversation, even if, if parents are interfering if that's the problem if we're seeing parents or in-laws interfering with the parenting we can have a genuine open relationship with them because if we start to focus on the differences maybe the generational differences the the understanding thought processes they might be different but what is similar in those people what is similar is that we love each other that we all love this child but how we show that love can be different and we can say, I really love that you love my child. I really appreciate that you love my child, you know, and I love them to spend time with you. I'd really appreciate it if you, for example, don't shout at them in this way. Or if you don't, in, uh, if you don't, you know, criticize them in front of people that mm -hmm. has an, a negative impact. We can have those slightly uncomfortable situations rather than saying, I'm going to close the door and not see these people. I can open and the deny door ourselves, and have really. conversation yeah. instead. 
because the impact yeah. of having a difficult conversation is less than closing that door. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess there's so much to gain from interactions with them. And, and like you say, and you make a really good point, I think very few people will love our children the way our parents love our children. Um, and they, the children can really benefit from that and they can really, you know, enjoy that, that affection, that unconditional love is just sometimes conveyed in a different way. And there's nothing wrong with having those conversations, which unfortunately are very uncomfortable, but it means you can move on stronger and you can keep everyone in your life rather than having to label them X, Y, and Z and, and draw kind of distance between yourself and them. Um, I think one thing as well that's differentiated probably where we've come from to where we live now is the how older people are viewed. Um, and whereas in the Middle East and elsewhere, they are revered, they're respected for their wisdom, for the sacrifices that they've made, for everything they've given us. And we know the Quran places so much emphasis, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places so much emphasis on our parents that, you know, probably because it's not easy, because there is there are difficulties along the way, especially as they get older and they are set in their ways and they do things a certain way, that there is so much emphasis on keeping that respect, keeping that relationship. But I guess in the West, it's there is a focus on doing rather than being and older people do less but they are there is so much essence and there's so much beauty and so much value for them in themselves like everybody else actually i mean but we we you know we do more um in our adult years than we do when we are obviously um in the elder years so it's it's a it's a really fine balance between making sure that we do our duties towards our parents, but also having those difficult conversations and making sure that we hold our Islamic duties towards them. Um, what do you think our, our children's generation feel towards the grandparents? I think I worry that with time, the value of grandparents is to, to kind of becoming weakened, that they are seen as I, whether it's boring or, um, you know, rigid or, you know, they don't do very much or they can't add value to my life. What it is, what is it that you think we can benefit our children from grandparents? Um, aside from, you know, learning to tolerate everybody and learning to have respect for everybody. Yeah. I think what you, what you said there at the end is really important is teaching them that they are different. Maybe they are from a different generation. Maybe they do have certain different thoughts, but also teaching them that they have so many stories to tell. You know, kids of all ages, I've got an 18-year-old and I've got an 11-year-old. And mm. when we sat there, so not too long ago, we had a sort of, I can't remember, it was an Eid celebration or something. And we actually got, you know, my dad to tell the story to the kids about how, how he grew up and why he left Iraq mm -hmm. and, you know, just those stories. And we asked them to speak in, in, you know, just Araqi, no, no formal languages, you know, so that they'd understand it. And they did connect and they got him to, uh, they got to ask questions. And then I remember as soon as they left the house, we probably carried on that conversation, me and my kids about his story about an hour into the night later after they all wow. left. And the reasons for that is just rather than saying their thought processes are different, go listen to them. Give them time to tell their stories. Older people love to tell stories and kids love to listen to stories. Let's focus on those strengths rather than the differences that we have. 
rather than saying and you know saying to your parents or your your in-laws or your grand or your own grandparents if you're if you're lucky enough to have a great grandparent to your child you know it's saying i want my children to learn from you i want my children to hear your stories maybe even telling them of when i was growing up and what i did was some of the things that i did when i was growing that were wrong and how you helped me tell them those stories so that you give them something to do because grandparents want that sense of purpose they want to be teaching but you can guide them on how to teach so there's an element of what you can do with your children to get them to listen to get them to respect to understand differences and respect differences but also you can have a genuine honest and loving conversation with the elder member of the family to say i love your love for my child i love that you can teach them so much and you know what they love to listen to it through different stories yeah and then you can say leave those other challenges of telling off when they're behaving bad leave that to me i'll take care of that you get to tell them all these wonderful stories that they love to hear and what you're doing there is you're giving them a sense of purpose in a way that you're telling them my child will connect to you when you do this and different children will connect to different things and maybe for another child they might have a grandparent who would like to take them to the park and you say you know my child loves it when you take them to the park or put them on the swing so depending on what that elder person is like how what they're able to do what their strengths are accommodate to that be smart enough to really connect with that strength and allow your child to connect with what they what you know they feel their grandparent can give them and what they feel they can benefit from I'm not sure if that's sort of clear but that's that's absolutely clear and i and i really like that actually we have so much more power than we think we are able to guide those around us to really um be involved in our children's lives without necessarily infringing on our values or or how we want to bring up our children but i think with a little bit of guidance and with some you know constructive suggestions we can achieve that we don't necessarily have to say it's you know their way or the highway uh, it can actually be a process of you know watching and learning and progressing things in stepwise stepwise ways so yeah no i like that i think it means there's we are able to have those conversations enable to enable our children to really benefit um i mentioned with the podcast with dr kothar where we talked about um a few months ago connecting with our spouse and reconnecting with our spouse i mentioned a lady called esther parel and she does a lot of relationships research and she talks about how we rely too much on our spouse we rely too much on our immediate family and actually we should have more people around us who are able to support us and we are able to support and that can actually enhance our marriage it can enhance our family life and it can enhance our well-being generally and that actually we were never built to be self-sufficient how do you think we are able to you know if it's not something that we've done before or something that we've fallen out of habit with how do you think we can step back out into that community or build our community in a way that serves our children and benefits all our relationships because we are you know relational human beings and we really need that but sometimes it can feel quite daunting to make that step forward yeah definitely and you're right there it is about that connection i think there's there's interesting research actually um zainab when you were talking i remembered it 
there's research into saying uh, into why people more people are unhappy now than they used to be and there's an interesting piece of evidence that says that over time two things have decreased which has resulted in increasing mental health problems but also a decrease in happiness and those mm-hmm. two things are social interaction a sense of community and a sense of purpose and that's usually related that sense of purpose related to faith god sense of meaning whatever you connect with and that's why they what they're trying to pick up now is they're trying to teach people that you do need that sense of connection let's reverse some of the things that we told you before that you are independent you don't need anyone there's value in that independence but actually what we've realized over time is that when we've taught people to be independent that you don't need anyone you can do everything yourself all these problems started to arise and so what we need to do is go back to reevaluate that way of living and maybe learn some of the things that we initially criticized in our you know parents and in our countries and say actually let's bring that back let's bring back that sense of community so that we can be supportive of each other we can connect and have fun together but also connect back to our sense of belief which gives us a purpose to why we do everything we do so there's a difference between connection and supporting each other and an expectation of people being doing things for you we're mm-hmm. not expected to do things alone we're not expected to get all our financial situation in order alone know how to run a business alone parent alone look after our well-being alone our physical health alone we're not expected to do that but also there's a there's a sense of where things can go wrong in relationships when we expect people to provide these things for us because when we expect our spouses to provide that sense of security that happiness that love for us there's too much pressure on that person to provide where they might not be able to mm-hmm. so yes we need to be self sufficient but what we need to do is not to say self sufficiency means i need to do everything alone what it means is i know where to support and how to get the support that i need and i'm okay to ask for it and that's a huge sense of strength because just like i might need your help in something fast forward a few days you will also need my help in something else and if we can build up that connection where we can support each other because we have different skills we have different abilities that's when that sense of belonging the sense of i'm not alone and i don't need to do it alone that's when it begins to give me that sense of happiness as well and peace and it takes that burden away that i need to do everything alone as well because as you said we're not created to do everything alone we're not meant to be doing it alone we're meant to have that support we're meant to have that connection with community with society with our spouses with our parents we're meant to have that but within time we valued independence and doing it alone and being self sufficient more than everything else yeah no absolutely the value of community i think is has been demonstrated in in a lot of research there was even um i know covid seems like a long while ago now but they even noticed that the small minute or second interaction with the barista at you know where you pick up your coffee enhances people's well-being you know it's it's something that people really missed out on during during the the pandemic that even those very brief interactions were adding something of value to your day that suddenly disappeared and people really felt the the absence of that 
Um, even though it seems like a very fleeting interaction, it's not, you know, you don't exchange lots of words. You might not even know their name, but it's something that people really benefited from. Um, so, yeah, absolutely agree with that. Um, we, are, we are social creatures, aren't we? We're mm. social creatures and we can't move away from that. We can't deny that. And even those who are introverted, I think it's wrong to call them antisocial. You know, we were talking about that the other day yeah. somebody. Yeah. I said, it doesn't mean if you're an introvert that you're antisocial. Uh, you know, you might not be at your best in a huge crowd. You might not want that huge attention, but it doesn't mean you don't like social interaction. You might be picky yeah. on what you do want, what kind of interaction you want, but it doesn't mean you're antisocial. That's yeah. so small term. It can be really misunderstood, I think. Yeah, it can be really misunderstood to be to be an introvert. And I think there's a few nice books actually on that recently where they kind of dissect this uh, this myth, if you like. But it's really more about, you know, just needing to be by yourself to regain energy rather than necessarily antisocial. Um, in terms of community, I think as a community, generally, as a Muslim community, we're not great at mentoring, coaching. I think it's, it's, it's getting better, but it's something that's relatively new. A lot of communities, I think, are way ahead of us in terms of being able to lift each other up, whether business people or friends or, you know, families with other families. Is that something that you see is actually becoming more commonplace in our community? And can you see the benefits already of people coaching each other and mentoring? Definitely. And I think, alhamdulillah, you know, I think something to really feel, you know, value for is that we do have a sense of community, even though we might be on a decline, even though it's not always, you know, integrated but we do have that sense of belonging to a community, which actually I know a lot of people who have told me that they don't have that, who are non-Muslims. They've said, it's, you know, I remember coaching an older client many, many years ago when I first started. And she said, Isra, you have something that I don't have. You have a community and you have faith. She said this to me. Yeah. She said, we don't have that. And I, I, you know, that doesn't give me that strength. That's why you are, you have that strength that keeps you going that I don't have. And it was really the two components of, of happiness that you mentioned, right? Exactly, exactly. And so it's it's really interesting when you say that because for them, and sometimes I, I have seen, and this isn't obviously a generalization, there are certain non-Muslim communities who do have that sense of community and belonging. But unfortunately, a lot of them actually only interact with people at work, which either you're lucky to have someone who's like you and you connect with, or you're not. Or they meet at the pub just to get attention, just to feel something. And that's not fulfilling enough because what we need to do is not just meet anybody anywhere. It's about meeting people within a place where we have a shared value. And yeah. this is where we actually have that sense of happiness that we want to seek. It's not about just going anywhere and meeting anyone while there is value to that. So when you said that barrister, when they smile and say, hello, yes, there is a benefit to that. And even if it's a short-term benefit, it's still a benefit. But if we're looking for true transformational benefit in the long term, it's about connecting with people who have similar value system as me, who have similar interest as me. And it's about developing that ecosystem that I am, we have a shared connection. So when we have, like when I have different groups of people, when I connect with mums, for example, with our mums group, it's so amazing that so much of the benefit that they have felt is about connection, is that I am not alone in this. When they yeah. hear another mum sharing a struggle that she has had with her child, 
suddenly that other parent who was probably shy to ask that question says, wow, I'm not alone in this. That in itself takes away that sense of loneliness that we spoke about earlier. Or when we meet in a masjid or a local community center, when our kids suddenly meet up and say, okay, like I know with my husband, when he meets up with the boys, he said one of the boys talked about, you know, drug issues. And then suddenly a few of them started to talk about it. We create a safe space for them to open up about the struggles that they share. And not every household or small group have the knowledge or the courage to open up about these certain topics. So it is about creating an ecosystem. It's about coaching. It's about mentoring, depending on what age our children are at. But what we need to do as a community is accommodate to all these ages. When I've got an 18-year-old who's looking at, you know, prospects for their future and jobs, I should have a mentor for them to guide, to guide them in that on their specific field. When I know certain individuals have certain, you know, mental health struggles, or if I want to build up, I need to give them a mentor to, or, a, you know, a person to actually support them in that struggle. And it's important for us as a community to know who do I turn to in each of those struggles. If I'm struggling in my relationship with my husband or my wife, if I'm struggling in my connection with my child, if my child has a disability that they need support in and they want, I want them to feel empowered by their you know, unique superpower, how do I do that? And it's up to us as a community to say, who's the specialist within us? Let's step up and you become the mentor and I'll become the mentor of something else. And it's about using, utilizing each of those resources because we do have it within our community. But what we need to do is just bring everyone together and say, we're in this together and we will support each other in it. Yeah, subhanAllah. There is, there is obviously wonderful value in receiving support, but actually giving that support as well needn't be a very laborious thing. It doesn't need to be a very time-consuming thing, but it can really lift someone else up and make us feel good at the same time because everyone likes to feel needed. Everyone likes to feel that their expertise and their skills are being used. And mentoring especially, I think, is something that most of us can probably do. Everybody can offer someone some something to someone else. Um, and it's a real helping hand to those younger generations who are encountering, whether it's university applications or different fields of work or friendships or whatever it may be, mentoring isn't doesn't necessarily require a qualification. It's just a case of helping someone to find the solutions for themselves. And it's it's something that can be so rewarding. Um, I think definitely more of us can can take part in that. Um, I don't know if you have any any tips for people who want to become mentors? Is it a particularly difficult thing? Um, is it something that you think is, is becoming more commonplace? And how can people access mentors? So I think there are already some organizations which are doing a, a really, really good job. Um, I, I can't exactly name any out of my head over my head, you know, from memory right now. But I remember a couple of years ago, I think there was a workshop of a group that were setting this up. And what we need to do is just research into if there is an existing group where I am living who have this yeah. sort of a mentorship coaching scheme in place and if it doesn't exist and if I don't know of it it's work to take responsibility how can I create that within yeah. our so-called busy lifestyles what can I how can I reach because if we're if I'm working with two people then there's a huge burden on those two people if I'm working with 20 people then that 
there's a diffusion of that responsibility that I can, each one of us can take on one responsibility. And so we don't need to spend a huge amount of time. And every, everyone who's listening to this might say, oh, but I don't have anything to, to give to them. I don't know of anything. Everyone can give something. Not all of us can help everyone, but everyone can help someone. That's the difference. So you might know how to cook something. You might know how to bake. You might know how to do art. You might know whatever it is that you know how to do. That's where you can help and mentor and support. And it might just be someone saying, you know what? I don't know. I just, I enjoy socializing. I just enjoy talking to people. I enjoy listening. I'm good at listening. Be that. If somebody wants somebody to listen to them you can be that mentor who just listens and that's why yeah. everyone who's listening to this can say i can do something who can i reach out to to create that let's work together to create that just like you create a, a networking group for businesses let's create a networking group for communities as well very similar way and it's about yeah. everyone saying that i can take on that responsibility i can give a bit of my time i can give one day one hour you know, of my time to this. Even if it doesn't sound like much, it will definitely be of benefit, won't it? I guess it's uh, it's spotting a gap and not waiting for someone else to to find a solution, but actually finding the solution ourselves because, you know, that's, I guess, what ownership and leadership looks like um, because there are lots of gaps around us and our community can always, you know, thrive and do better if all of us try to plug those gaps with the skills that we have. Um, you talked about your mindful mums group um, and how powerful it can be for someone to share a struggle that then paves the way for someone else to feel, you know, I guess in a, in a society that we live in, we see everybody's best selves and best lives, but we don't necessarily see the weaknesses and the difficulties and the struggles, but there's something so beautiful about people sharing that and showing that vulnerability, which then makes it okay for other people to be vulnerable. Um, how important do you think that is in creating the community? Do we need to be more honest with ourselves and how we, you know, how we really feel? Um, because I think there's a lot of niceties and there's a lot of, you know, we call it majamalad. Um, do we need to be more real or, you know, what's, what's the, What's the concentric circle for, I think, for vulnerability? Because I guess it needs to be in safe places, doesn't it? It does. And that's the sort of a chicken and egg thing where we need the society to become less judgmental and open-minded in order for me to feel a safety to open up about my vulnerability. But I also need to open up about my vulnerability to expose the society so that they become more understanding. And it's almost like yeah. you need a bit of both. And I would say here, it's important for all of us, part of healing is to allow yourself to become vulnerable. If we are ever in denial or we want to keep things sort of protected, we're never going to open that wound and clean it up. That's the right. Sometimes you need to open that wound, clean it up for it to be heal healed. And so mm -hmm. what we need to realize is not about not being vulnerable or about opening up to the world and everyone knowing what I'm going through. It's, it doesn't have to be either either or of that it's about finding a safe space for you to to be open in your vulnerability knowing that that ecosystem that you're a part of is there to support you and to help you to grow rather than talk about you or make fun of you and say oh who is she 
you know, to talk to me about these things. And it's about realizing that every single person inside you will have their struggles. Every single person, you know, whether it's a doctor who's struggling with their physical health or a therapist who's struggling with her mental health or a parenting coach who's requiring parenting support. We are all in this together. No expert is immune to anything as well. And we have our own vulnerabilities. Even the experts have their own vulnerabilities. But what we can do is create a safe space for everybody to open up and we can actually support each other in it. So so part of the, you know, you brought up the mindful moms, for example. One of the things that we do is, yes, they share their vulnerability, and it's lovely, you know, when other parents say, oh, I, I can really connect with this. I, I've struggled with this as well. But when I give certain advice or certain research or tools and tips to help them with that, we also open it up to other people to say, if anyone else can support in this. And that mm. gives us an opportunity to actually say, you know what, I went through this and I've tried this and it really worked there. Or, you know what, I'm actually still working through that. One of the reasons why I put off doing a mindful, you know, mums or a mum parenting group for a very long period of time, Zainab, and that's the honest truth, is because I was like, I don't know what my my children are going to turn out. And I was like, who am I to do these? And then, you know, God forbid, if something, if my kids turn out, you know, going around the wrong path, then people will say, oh, who's the person who used to do these kind of groups? Look at how her kids turn out. And that was a fear factor. Yeah. And it was a fear factor that was holding us back because we think any professional needs to have it all together needs to be perfect and that's not true and it was tackling those fears that allowed me then to step up and say this is a there's a space that's not being fulfilled and it's up to me to fulfill that space and every single person can do that in their own special way whatever it is we need tens of parenting groups we need tens of you know marriage marriage support groups all these things need to be there. And it doesn't mean you have to have the perfect marriage or be the perfect parent to do these things. We are all work in progress. Or a sheikh who sits on the member and says, oh, who am I to talk about these things? I do sins. Yes, of course we do sins. But we can also teach ourselves and teach other people. I, th I think that's so true. And we, when we talked about confidence last time, it was actually something that I was going to mention, but I didn't have the confidence to, to mention that when this... Um, when I was asked to become a guest on this podcast, I was absolutely terrified. And I thought, this is not for me. You know, I'm not a speaker. I like to hide behind my writing. I like to read it a million times and edit it before I publish anything. And I hate speaking. And and then I thought, hold on, you know, sometimes we we want to wait until the right time and to have the right knowledge and to to be ready to do these things and to take these steps. But actually, even our faith teaches us that you need to take those steps in order to push those fears and to you know grow and to experience new things. And actually that can keep us, that kind of thinking can keep us really small. And never in a million years did I imagine that I'd actually be hosting this. And I still don't think, you know, I still get nervous about this and I don't like speaking, but I think there's always something that we can teach each other and we don't necessarily have to have all the answers and nobody does. And nobody has the perfect relationship or the perfect children. Or like you say, we, we don't know how our children are going to turn out. And you know, inshallah, it's all in Allah's hands. And all we are really responsible for is the effort and the intention, inshallah. But it's, it's something that I know keeps a lot of us limited, that we are waiting for the right time or we're waiting to have the right knowledge before we take any step. But that can really limit us and that can really keep us quite small which is which is something you know i 
I'm grappling with all the time, and I really advise all my sisters, all my brothers, is to take that step and actually things will open up. And you'll find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will show you the next steps, you know, just, just conquer that fear and you'll feel stronger. SubhanAllah. You're, you're totally right there. I think, honestly, I don't, I think majority, if not all of those, any speaker that goes out there, no matter what they do, will tell you that this was uncomfortable when we started. I never thought I'd be doing what I am doing now. Never thought I'd see myself on social media. Never thought I'd be in big halls delivering all these things. Never thought I'd do that. And is it 100% comfortable? No, it will no. never be. But the one of the things that actually helps us to actually do these things, well, that helped you to come on this podcast and be doing these things or helps me to do what I do, is when we realize it's not about us anymore. It's not about me and how I look or what I'm doing or what people will say about me or what people will think about me. If we're only in our head, that fear will be so loud that it will stop us from taking action. The way to silence that fear, not to take it away because fear is going to stay there because they're to protect you, but the way to silence it and the way to take down the volume of fear and allow so that you can work is to say, what is the focus that I need to have? It's not about yeah. me. It's about the service that I am providing. If I can share one little video, yes, I might not look my best. Yes, I might have, you know, bags under my eyes. Yes, my, all of those things. And you'll happen. get criticized and you might have people not liking it. Yeah. But if I can help one person, just one person through that short little video, or through that podcast or through that, that's the service that I am providing. And it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to have the same thought from day one to day 25. It might change and that's okay as well. But I'm doing the best that I can in this moment in time for the knowledge that I have with the resources that I have. And yeah. it's about taking action. If we do that every single time, we're able to grow. And relating to that as well, in, in, in the topic of community effort, I've had people say to me, Isra, I can't do, like when I've asked people to do circles or programs for people you know my kids age where I feel like I'm probably too old to be delivering to that age group because they need to be listening to people closer in their age and they've you know I've had a, quite a lot of young people say to me but I don't have the knowledge who am yeah. I to deliver that I didn't have those resources I don't know which books to turn to I don't know what to teach them because I don't know enough and I say that's the pathway to you learning as well I remember, you know, this is just a short story, just for us to all think that we can all do something. I, I was exactly in that same position and I still am. You know, when I do something, I'm like, who am I to talk about these things? But I remember if we go back many years, um, when I was 21, just graduated, I had my first child, came to Manchester. And then there was a few months that were saying they had girls aged eight, nine, 10. And they said, oh, can you do like little circles for them? You know, teaching them about taklif and wudu and salah and ghusun and all those things. And for the older girls as well. I thought, who am I to deliver that? But that yeah. was the push for me to go and read and learn. Or even if I go a bit before that, when I was at university with my very good friend in Scotland, we went there and we saw there was sort of an Islamic society and there was not, not a lot of programs for ladies at the time. And I thought it would be really nice for us to open a tafsir class. So I mm. opened, you know, we, we started opening a tafsir circle. And it was, I pushed myself to read all these tafsir books that I had never thought that I would be able to un read and understand. Yeah. 
And alhamdulillah, you know, big, big thank you to my husband to support me. He said, even if you don't understand the page, just keep reading it again two, three times. He said, that's what I do. And you can do that exact same thing. And, you know, we'd run past each other. And if I didn't understand something, I'd tell him and we'd discuss it together. But this, that need to deliver actually pushed me to learn and grow myself in tafsir or fiqh. And then we had to do an extra effort because I had people from different sects and I wanted to make sure that any you know, the Sunnis, yeah. the Shias, and everyone that's listening yeah. is actually suitable for them. And I have to go and research yeah. in our own tafsir, the Sunni tafsir, to make sure that what I'm delivering is agreed upon by everyone. And that requires a lot of hard work. I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm certainly no specialist or no alim or any of that sort. But each of us can deliver something. And yeah. we can grow and we can learn through that. So to every young person who's listening to this and says, I don't have the Islamic knowledge to deliver any little circle to children age 9 or 10 or 15 or 20, yes, you can. It may mean you going to read and learn and listen to all these muhadarat or talks or podcasts out there, but there are so many platforms that you can learn and then deliver. And trust me, the person that's going to benefit most is going to be you, actually. Yeah. You, know, you can listen to a podcast or a talk or a muhadara, but the person who's benefited most is the person who've searched to deliver that. Yes. Yeah, it reminds me of um, when he say, you know, if you want to do something, you know, if you want to learn something well, teach it, because you you need to really research it in order to teach it. And it also actually what you say, it reminds me of uh, someone at work, a very experienced clinician who said, if someone asks you to do something, say yes, and then go and find out how to do it. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a scary concept, and it's we don't like to be in com uncomfortable or put ourselves in potentially embarrassing situations, or you know, open ourselves up to looking bad. But there is so much growth in all of these, you know, saying yes to all of these things. It might not be immediately obvious how how to do it, but there will be people to help you along that way, and there will be so much learning for everyone involved if you do take on those responsibilities. I think it's. It's been a really great conversation with you today, Isra. Hopefully it's it's been practical. People can take away some tips. Hopefully it's been inspiring to encourage people to, you know, where they do see gaps and all of us see gaps, to be able to think about innovative ways, creative ways in order that we can plug those, in order that we can bring others with us to um, to try to bring our skills together and hopefully bring our community um, some value and move it forward. Um, I think it's been um, really insightful. I want to thank you again for, so for coming on the program and you know offering another hour of your time. It's really appreciated. Thank you for sharing your experience and your insights. And uh, inshallah. Thank you for having me and thank you for the amazing work that you do. I know there's so much that goes behind the scenes as well. It's not just the delivery of that one hour. So inshallah, you know, huge rewards to you and the team and everyone for all the effort that you do, because this is all part of that community effort, isn't it? We all do our part. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. It, is, it is so rewarding. It is, it is so rewarding and it's really always wonderful to know that somebody will be benefiting from this. Like you say, even if it's just one person, then it's, you know, a step forward for our community. And min Allah tawfiq. Um, alhamdulillah wa shukur. Thank you very much once again. Thank you. Thank you. And for uh, all the best with your amazing work, especially with the youth. I know it's not easy and I know how valuable it is. Um, and inshallah, you know, all the tawfiq to you too. Inshallah. Thank you so much. Thank you. And to you as well. Thank you. 
Big thanks to Isra Dayar for joining me once again. Um, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope you took away some practical tips. Um, but I think we definitely delivered home the, the message that our community is so valuable. Um, even if it's changed over time, it's something that we um, can invest our efforts in and our time and any skills that we have. Um, if we throw those into the pot, we can make our community so much better. Inshallah. So I hope it was an inspiring um, episode. I hope you benefited from Isra's uh, insights and her experience. Um, and I hope you're benefiting from the podcasts and enjoying them overall. Uh, please do subscribe to our newsletter on mymuslimfamily.org um, and uh, do consider donating to the cause as well. We look forward, inshallah, to welcoming you to another episode next time. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. في أمان